All right, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Dave. If you're new to our church or if this is your first time here, thanks for being here. Steve Harley, the one you usually see here, is uh, preaching for me in St. Albans. All our campuses are going this morning. Dave Martin, one of our elders who normally attends here, is uh, preaching at our Marmette campus. And uh, Russ Jordan is going strong at our Beckley campus at the Raleigh County Convention Center. So you're here, and thanks for being here today. It's a good day. Amen? Amen. Had a little sunshine this week, uh, a little bit of snow. Those things are good, right? Everybody likes those. How's your new year going? Great. Good. Good deal. Uh, 2021 is going to get better, right? It's got to get better. Uh, If it gets worse, then uh, we're all in for it. We're all in for it. Uh, Again, thanks for being here. My wife and I are happy to be here, and uh, we had our little grandson here last service, both of them, and uh, we're all happy about that. Well, um, we started a new series last week. If you were here, if you weren't here, I encourage you to keep up with us online. Some people are still watching online, and we appreciate that, and say hello to those watching the Facebook group this morning. And you can always go uh, on our website and get the, uh, the service from St. Albans, or you can get the message from here, which I encourage you to do and listen to that so you can keep up with uh, what's going on. These messages are important for your small groups too, because we're a sermon-based small group uh, program. So we're going to discuss the sermon uh, in smaller groups during the week. Um, and so the series is Don't Give Up. Don't you love that, that uh, flashback to history of Winston Churchill and some of the darkest days of the world, really, when it seemed that Nazi Germany and Japan were teaming up, they, they call the axis of evil, they were teaming up to take over the world, and Churchill, like good leaders do, they stand up in the midst of that chaos and that darkness, and they say, they say look, this is not darkness, this is a time for us to shine. It's a time for us to shine. And that's what the world did, that great World War II generation. I don't know if any of them are still in your family. We have a few of them around. We're losing those World War II veterans thousands a day. There aren't many of them left. We have a few in our community here, and uh, we owe a great debt to those people, not just the soldiers, but to that whole generation upon which this country uh, really was built, figuratively and uh, physically. Uh, so uh, we thank you if, you if you're uh, taking care of one of those people or you have one in your family. Well, we, this series is about perseverance. It's about not giving up. And that's the title of it, Don't Give Up. We use the word perseverance in the church, but we don't use it much outside the church. We would just say, keep going. Don't give up. No matter your circumstance, no matter your problem, no matter where you find yourself, don't give up because we have too much at stake to give up. And this is a testimony. This series is, a, is the story of a testimony of one man. His name, na, na, uh, name was Asaph. You remember him uh, from the Bible? He wrote 12 Psalms and he wrote this Psalm. He's writing this Psalm much later in his life, looking back on his life, and he's saying, Look, I know God is good. I know, I believe that my whole life, but I want to tell you something. I almost threw in the towel. And maybe you're there. Maybe you've seen the circumstances of our own country. 
Over the last several weeks and months and uh, this past year, and you've seen bad things happen, and you're like, you know, what good is it to live a good life? Evil seems to be winning, and righteousness, godliness, the attempt to follow after the Lord seems to be losing, and so what's the use? And that's what Asaph is writing about here. Now, Asaph is the book of Job in a nutshell. That's, that's the big question he's asking, the same question Job asked which is why do the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper? It's a great question, isn't it? It's a question that's been asked for a lot of years. Asaph asked it in his day. We're still asking it today. God, why do, why do bad people get off the hook? How come none of them go to jail? How come none of them are caught? How come none of them are punished? How come we're trying to live right and we look sideways at somebody and we get in trouble, we get fined, we get put in jail? How come this is the way it is? And Asaph, uh, you know, he summarizes the story, really his story, his testimony in Psalm 73. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Psalm 73, I encourage you to read it with us from multiple translations. Uh, you know, engross yourself in it and let God speak to you. God can speak to you without me. Did you know that? Or without Steve or anybody. God can speak to you because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you'll get it into your life, you'll put it into your heart, it'll speak to you. It'll do something for you. Amen on that? Amen. Yeah. So like Job, Asaph was a good man, a godly man. Job was so godly that God pointed him out to the angels and to all the folks lined up there that day. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? Yet Job went some, through some of the greatest trials in life. He lost his children. You know, we have some folks in our church who've lost children, whether adult children. We have a couple in our church whose adult son committed suicide uh, just a few years ago, and it's devastated them. And we've, we've, we have children who've lost teenage, uh, we have People have lost teenage children and, and pre-born children or stillborn or babies. And it is one of the hardest things to go through in life. From my perspective, as I've experienced as a pastor, and I don't know how you'd ever get over that, Job went through that multiple times over because he lost all his children, all his possessions, and he was asking the question, God, why is this happening to me? And so like Job, Asaph was godly. He was righteous. Now, we don't know anything personal about him as far as his loss, but evidently he had lived a long life where he had seen a lot of bad things happen to good people, and he was asking God the same question. Three things. He, he, we said last week he couldn't make sense of what was going on in the world. God wasn't in the world. How are these things happening without you intervening? You find yourself asking that question? I do. It's like, God, why don't you just, with the flick of your finger, just, just brush them off into uh, eternity somewhere? I mean, that's what I do. Wouldn't you do that? I think that'd be our inclination. God, what are you doing in the world? How can this happen? How can our country or how can our world end up the way it is? How, can it, how did it get in this situation? Evil seems to be winning Goodness, godliness seems to be losing. Can't understand what God's doing in the world. And then it got personal for Asaph. He couldn't understand what God was doing in his own life. He, he, said, he said, you know, every day I wake up with a new punishment, a, a new affliction, a new ache or a new pain. Asaph must have been about my age, I'm thinking. 
Anybody? You wake up and something else is hurting you didn't know you had, or you didn't know how you hurt it, or, or you know, you're like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't realize you. I thought I was just getting over that. I had to talk to somebody this morning who just had knee surgery, and I just had that same knee surgery in April, and I said, I wish I could give you better news. My knee's still killing me, still hurts me a lot. I said, but you're going to be different. Uh, yours will be better. And that was my, uh, you know, I had to tell him that because I didn't want him to give up now. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it gets personal sometimes. God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing with me? And then lastly, uh, we said that he was at that point of despair. His feet almost slipped because he was wondering, this little voice in his head was saying, what's, what's the use? Why bother pursuing a godly life? I mean, seriously, have you ever, have you ever sat around or have you ever thought about this question? Is there really a God? I mean, what if, there's, what if God doesn't even exist? What if there's no God? And all this effort I'm putting into this, everything I'm trying to do, this life I'm trying to live, the gospel I'm trying to preach, it really doesn't matter if there's no God. Have you ever let those thoughts creep into the front of your mind? You probably have, like me. I mean, based on the evidence of what's going on in the world and what's happening to good people, Sometimes we might be thinking, God, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's no God at all. And so Asaph is sharing all this in this testimony. But we know Asaph came through. We know he came through because we read the rest of the story. We read other psalms that he wrote. He turned it around. How did he do that? Well, he made what I call a five-point turn. You ever been on a road where you had to make a five-point turn? Anybody? Yeah, you know, we were in Haiti uh, last week and the week before, and uh, we were on a road, and uh, they said, you got to turn around. I said, uh, where? The vehicle, you know, the, the vehicle's almost as wide as the road. We got to turn around right here. And it was like a 25-point turn. You ever had to do one of those? You know, and finally you get turned around. So this, this is a five-point turn. It's a five-point message series, and that's what we're talking about today, the five-point turn about a man who was very strong in his faith. You know, remember, he was a Levite. He was a priest. He was a worship leader. He was serving. He was very active in his faith. He was a, he was a man David appointed to lead the worship in the, uh, in the sanctuary. David said, you know, I trust you. You're a young man. He might have been in his late teens. And this very man who'd lived this long life of faith and service almost threw in the towel. But we know he turned it around. And so he did a five-point turn, and the first turn is to stop, is to stop. We talked about this last week. You know, there are times in your life where you might be able to lazily turn your life back around, keep going, it's wide enough here, the infraction's not that great, the violation's not too bad, it's not going to hurt you too much, it's not hurting the people around you, it's just a little bit of change. You know, that's a lot of people when they come to Christ, they think, oh, you know, um, I'm just going to kind of lazily turn my life around, I'll give that up, you know, in a little bit, and I'll stop doing that in a little bit, and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll finally get to it, you know, maybe, maybe in a few years I'll get it turned around once they're gone, once my kids are out, and, and we just kind of lazily turn it around. But I want to tell you, there are times in your life where if you try that tactic of turning your life around, it's not going to work. You can't do it. You're just going to have to stop. You know, if someone said, you know, uh, I've been cheating on my wife, and I think I'm going to stop here in a few weeks, or maybe a month or two. Yeah. Not going to work. 
you need to stop. You need to just stop. And that's what we're talking about here when you're at the edge of despair, when you're about to fall into the pit of disappointment and discouragement and, uh, and, and you're just kind of wondering, is it worth it all? And look at the evil in the world and look at my life and it just doesn't seem to be worth it, just jumping over in there. You just need to stop. And the second thing you need to do, the second point of the turn is to think. Stop and think. Stop and think. Come on, man, just think about things. You can't do that. Put the gun down. Drop the pills. Put the alcohol aside. Don't do this. Just think. Think about your life. And so that's where we pick up today in verse 16. Asaph, when he's thinking about all this stuff and he's ready to throw in the towel, his feet almost slip. He said, in verse 16, he said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. So here he is, he's sitting. We've, we read the first 15 verses last week. We saw all the stuff he's upset about, his situation, the things going on in the world and how he's looking at it. His mind is confused, it's racing. And he said, when I, I tried to make sense of it, I, my heart just grew heavy. It troubled me deeply. I think it's probably nearly impossible to live in our day without being troubled deeply. I don't know if maybe I'm by myself here. And if that's the case, that's okay. I've been, I've been alone in a lot of the ways, I think, in a lot of things. But I don't think I am. I think if you're an adult here and you have responsibility and you have children growing up in this world or grandchildren like I do, I think you've got to be troubled about the, the state of things in our country, in our world. I think you, you have to be. I think, I think you just have to be troubled. This, this past week after we started this series, I got, I got messaged or texted for, from four or five different people, mostly in our church, who were saying, Pastor, what, what's going on here? You know, I have, a, I have a tie to the military, and uh, they said, what is this martial law? What's it going to look like? Is that what's going to happen? I had people texting me last Sunday evening saying, you better go to the grocery store. You better stock up. It's going to break loose. It's going to happen. Come on, you've been getting those same uh, messages, haven't you? Social media, if you're watching that, or... And, and everybody's worried and uh, afraid, and they were like, you know, we don't know where to turn and what to do, and people are troubled, People are troubled. And so when you try to make sense of everything, it's just going to get worse if you try to make sense of everything on your own. And he says this in verse 17. He says, I was, I was troubled until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. I was troubled until I came into the sanctuary of God. Now, let me tell you about the sanctuary. If you'll remember, this is before the temple. David raised the money to build the temple, but Solomon built the temple. In Exodus chapter 25, God told Moses, he said, as they were starting on their journey, they're at the, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, God said, build for me a sanctuary. It's Exodus 25.8. Build a sanctuary. And, uh, and when you build this sanctuary, that's going to be the, uh, the, the presence that I have among the people. Build this, and that's where I'm going to meet with the people, this, this place called the sanctuary. So that's why today, 
there are some people who call this place a sanctuary. You know, we believe really that God's presence is with us no matter where we are, whether we're gathered together or scattered. But we call this the sanctuary in some places. And, uh, and, and so, before the days of the temple, Asaph was appointed to lead worship in front of the sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary would have been some kind of a mobile structure. Remember, they had to carry it for 40 years. They had to tear it down and set it up maybe like a, a glorified tent. You've seen these movies where, where the Arabs have, you know, they've been out in the desert or even the Jewish people and they set up these tents and they have uh, things happening there, you know, the meeting places or they live in them or something. This would have been kind of an elaborate tent setup that would have stood in the center of the encampment of God's people. So it would have been in the center and all of God's people, all the 12 tribes would have camped around them. And so the, the, uh, the, the sacrifices went on here. And lots of good things happened here. This was, the, this was the church in the middle of the people. This was the church at the center of life. It used to be that way in this country. It's not that way now though, is it? It's kind of now up, let's get it done, let's get it over with fast, so we don't have to think about it again for another week. But this is what this was. And inside the tabernacle, there was an important uh, artifact, a huge artifact. Anybody remember what was in there? It was the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? Now by Asaph's day, the Ark of the Covenant's 500 years old. They built it back way back in Moses' day, and they overlaid this wooden ark, this wooden case, with gold. And it was highly decorated. It was highly decorated. And nobody ever saw it, because it was always covered. When it was moved, it was carried way out in front of the people, way out in front by priests who never saw it. The high priest might have seen it, but the priest never saw it. It was always covered with skins. It was covered with blue cloth. And they never saw it, but they knew that's where God's presence was. And so this kind of a word picture for us, you know, we pray to a God we cannot see. Right? That's what John said in his gospel, that no one has ever seen God. Yet we know He's there, Right? Give me an ouch or an amen or a thumbs up or something. I need a little help here. You know, I realize we're in the times of COVID and the mask, but I need a little help, you know, and this is good as a, as, a, as a smile. We know God is there, but we can't see Him. God's been teaching His people that for a long time. And so the, uh, the, the ark went ahead of the people, and by the time of Asaph, it was 500 years old, and it could have told a lot of stories. Just in 500 years, it was constructed at the base of Mount Sinai. It was carried on poles across in front of the people through the 40 years of wandering across the Jordan River on dry ground by the priests. It was carried into battle with Joshua around the walls of Jericho. It was captured by the Philistines. Remember the Philistines captured it one time? And when Eli, the old priest, who was a large man, sitting down when he heard that the ark was captured and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed, the Bible says he fell over dead, maybe a heart attack or something. His daughter-in-law, one of those boys' sons, had a baby at that very hour, and they named that child Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. The ark was gone. I mean, the ark was everything to these people. 
The Philistines kept this ark for a little while, but they noticed that wherever the ark was, there was devastation, there was disease, there was pestilence, there was crops dying, lots of problems. They're like, man, I don't want it, you take it. And they moved it around and finally said, get this thing back to the Jewish people. Take it back. Because that was God visiting pestilence on them. Because they weren't interested in worshiping God. They weren't interested in putting God at the center of their community. They were just interested in the gold, and, the, and they knew what it meant to God's people, so they took it, but they brought it back. This ark was stored at uh, uh, Bethel and then moved to Shiloh to Saul, the King Saul's detriment. It was abandoned on a farm. You know, Saul thought he was big enough, good enough, smart enough, to make his own decisions. Of course, he learned the hard way, didn't he? And God ripped the kingdom away from him. So when David, the successor to Saul, finally got the ark back in its rightful place among the people, the people rejoiced. They rejoiced because it was like God was coming home to his people. This ark, last seen, Indiana Jones was fighting the Germans for it. Right? Isn't that the last time you saw it? So maybe the Germans have it. <clears throat> I don't know. The wood is encased in gold, so it's possible it could still be around somewhere. What was in the ark? You remember? Let me tell you. Hebrews tells us right here. Hebrews tells us. The writer of Hebrews. Now this is a guy looking back on it, but this is... This is also in the Old Testament. This is just the easiest place to find it. The Bible says, uh, you know, that behind the curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained three things. The gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and then it describes it a little bit. So there were three things in this Ark, and this Ark was... A witness to the incredible story of God. So let's go back to Asaph for a minute. Asaph, his mind is confused. He's disturbed deeply. He's on the brink of despair and discouragement. He's ready to, to throw in the towel. Why does it matter? And then he, maybe in a, in a perfunctory way. Do you know this word, perfunctory? It's when you go through the motions, but you don't really feel it or believe it. And so maybe in a perfunctory way, he's going to do his job at the sanctuary and he remembers what's inside. And his, his mind is rattled. It's like, whoa. This means so much. The testimony of this the equivalent of this would be you, you know, having a hard day, you're, you've had a hard week, maybe somebody's gotten sick, or maybe you've lost somebody, or maybe you've had, just had bad things happen in your life, and you're just kind of like fed up with things, you're, you're, you know, you owe another bill because your car broke down, and you don't know where you're going to get the money, and it's just one of those kind of weeks, and, you, and, and maybe it's because you've done this every week, you just feel like, oh, well, I'm just going to go to church, <clears throat> and you go to church... And then Jay leads us in a song like we sang up here this morning about the, the gospel. You know, I love that. I love that song. Uh, and the church of Christ was born. And the flames will never be put out because it's built on the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And you realize, you know, 
My troubles, hey, they're just troubles. And they'll go away. Somehow we'll get through. You understand what I'm saying? You've had those kind of weeks? I'm not talking about just little things. I'm talking about the biggest things in your life. When people reject you or abandon you or you lose someone. Those big, big problems. And you think, how am I ever going to deal with those? Here's the beauty of it. You don't have to alone. You get to come into the gathering, the body of Christ, and share your burdens. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens. You know what I'm saying? Bear one another's burdens. I love the Hebrews 10 passage we read this morning, the focus verse that said, don't stop meeting together because when you come together, you can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, don't get me wrong. I love technology. And I thank God we live in an age of technology. I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah. And, uh, I, but I love technology, and I don't know what the church would have done without technology in the year of 2020 and the day of, of the COVID. I don't know what we would have done. And a lot of churches didn't have it, and they're, and they're struggling. And let me tell you something. I am grateful that people are watching online. And I'm grateful that we can do Zoom meetings and team meetings and, and, uh, and, and all these virtual things. But hear me right when I say there is absolutely no substitute for the in-person gathering of God's people. And I'm not, I'm not passing judgment on, uh, on anybody. I'm just saying through the ages, even before the church was the church, even back in the Old Testament times, there was no substitute for gathering together. And if you don't believe me, just look at what's happening in our school system. And, you know, my wife's a teacher, and there are lots of teachers in our church and administrators, and they, and they, are, they are just wondering what are, what are the lingering effects of virtual teaching for a generation of kids. Kindergartners, first graders, second graders, third graders, that you just can't get things through to unless you're right there looking over their shoulder in person and they're interacting with uh, colleagues and, and other students. And, and we don't know the effects of what's going to happen in our school system or in the church or we can see the effects of stuff in our economy going on right now. But I just want to tell you, forget all that. I'm just talking to the church. I'm just talking to people who love the Lord and there's no substitute for the gathering of God's people. Nothing that can replace it. You can get good stuff on, on TV, and if, and if I were all virtual, man, I'd be watching, uh, I'd be watching Craig Rochelle or somebody, you know? Uh, somebody that could really preach well. And, uh, and they'd be listening to uh, some great music. And I'm, I'm not saying anything about us, but I'm saying when you miss the shoulder-to-shoulder, the eyeball-to-eyeball, the person-to-person, encouragement and love and support and, and seeing that, you know, hey, we're all in this together. I think one of the stupidest hashtags I've ever seen is alone together. I know what it means. I know why it came about. I just think it's stupid. I just think it's stupid. And uh, I don't know what the effects of the 
church you're going to have. But I just want to tell you something. What you're doing today cannot be substituted for, cannot be replaced. And uh, I, just, I, just, I just feel like God has a providential hand on people who are meeting together. It's like getting baptized in the wintertime. You know, they say, oh, you're going to get sick, you're going to catch pneumonia and die. You're getting baptized, man. God's not going to let you get sick. Get in there. So the ark meant so much to Asaph. He realized who God was. Again, who God is and what God has done. And the fact that God's people have stood for 2,000 years on the promises of God. question you can ask that hasn't been asked. There's no problem you could have that somebody hasn't already had. There's no temptation. Paul said, remember 1 Corinthians 10? No temptation you could go through that is not common to man. In other words, there's nothing, nothing. Oh, COVID is nothing. But This is a new nothing new under the sun or to the people who follow God, who follow our Savior. Nothing you can go through that hasn't been gone through again. We are in a community of people who have stood the test of time. And uh, the ark meant so much. It meant the presence of God. Where the ark was, God's presence is. It meant the promise of God. The promise of God. You know the golden pot of manna? That meant the provision of God. The provision of God. God said, hey, uh, they said, hey, God, we're hungry. The people are hungry. They need something to eat. God said, don't worry about it. In the morning, they can go out and they can gather it up. It's going to taste like wafers with wild honey. And it was manna. What is it? And so that's why the, pot of gold, uh, the golden pot of manna was in the ark to remind them, hey, God's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. The Ten Commandments were God's promise that if you live this way, I'm going to be your God and you're going you're to worship me. And, you know, that's what the Ten Commandments are. They are a conditional, they're conditional commandments. That God said, if you will follow after me, you'll be a different people, you'll be a peculiar people, and I'll be your God. And you don't have to worry about your enemies. And, and also the protection of God. The protection of God. Wherever the ark went, there was safety there. Oh, there's, so, there's some preaching right there that I could do that I just don't have time. Wherever the presence and the promise and the provision of God is, there's the protection of God. Now, I could do that, but I'm not, I'm not sure you'd help me if I did it. So I'm going to move on. Look, Asaph realized when he went into the sanctuary that God was so much bigger than his discouragement, his problems. God was God. And my problems are just temporary. And so you, you could talk about you could talk about your faith, but it's really our faith. You could talk about your experience of God and his presence and promise, but it's really our experience of God. You could talk about your testimony, but your testimony is our testimony. 
You see, we're the church. We're not alone, and we're not alone together. We are God's people, and this testimony is not just for our time. It is the testimony, God's testimony, of what He's doing in our lives and in our world for generations. Let me tell you, parents and grandparents, something. If you fail to pass on to your children the importance, the extreme importance of God's people and being a part of God's people and gathering with God's people, if you fail to pass that on by your teaching, by your example, by what's important to you, then we will be on the way to losing a generation of young hearts for the cause of Christ. You see, we're built on the truth of God, the truth of God, the gospel. And, and, and the gospel is, is, is true, and it is powerful. It is the power of God into salvation, and your kids can't lose that. You know, Karl Marx called religion the opium of the people. In other words, they only do this to feel good. They just want to feel good. It's like an opiate. It just makes them feel good. And in our day, people have called Christianity a crutch for the weak. It's like, you know, it's just for the weak. And that mentality has kind of shadowed the church because there are more women and wives who go to church across the land than there are men and husbands. Because, oh, this is just for my wife and kids. They need this. When they get older, they won't need it as much. But, and our faith is emotional, it is an emotional faith. I mean, if it doesn't make you feel something, if it doesn't get down into your heart and your gizzard and all that, then there's something wrong with you. But it's more than emotion, isn't it? Our faith is rational. It's intellectual. There's more reasons to believe today than there have ever been. Philosophy and archaeology and, and uh, uh, science and sociology, all those ologies are giving us more and more reason to believe. Right, Luke? Luke loves apologetics too. There's more reasons to believe today than there have ever been in the history of our world. We're smart people, but the evidence is just piling up. And to deny that there's a God and that the gospel is real is to deny your very future. Because we're all going to give an account to that one God. Every single one of us will stand before Him on Judgment Day. So stop. And think about that. And if you're discouraged or depressed or wondering if the church is defeated or if the cause of God and the cause of good is, is a worthless cause, then think again. Because God has withstood this for generations. And He's still on the throne. And He's still in control. You and I just have to persevere. We just have to keep going, keep making it to the next step. So Asaph said, then I understood their final destiny. And he gives us two, really three images here I want to close with. Verses 18 and 19, he said, Surely, talking to God about the wicked, you have placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. The image here is a slippery surface, like ice or mud. Asaph said, when I came into the sanctuary, I finally understood. God, I know what you're doing now. I can see it. The light bulb is on. I understand. You put them on slippery slopes. How did he do that? 
by prospering them. God prospered them. He gave them all the world's riches. And he said, now, what are you going to do with it? You trust your riches? You're going to slip and fall and be swept away. You know, it's not bad to have riches. It's not bad to have stuff. We are the richest country in the richest time that's ever existed. Compared to people of the world right now and people of ancient times and not, not so ancient times, we are filthy rich. You know that. It's not a, a, a stewardship sermon. We have to be careful that we don't put our trust in those riches, that we keep our trust in the Lord, and that we're thankful, we're thankful. Be careful, parents, that you don't give your kids everything and then they forget to be thankful. They forget that somebody had to work for this. They forget that somebody had to, had to earn this. They forget that somebody had to pay the price for this. And then they become a privileged, entitled generation that thinks everybody ought to give them something. And that's what's going on in a lot of our country. We have to be careful not to do that. Paul told Timothy, tell the rich not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And so he uses the second image. The wicked, they're putting their trust in the wealth and they're going to be swept away. The second image, verse 20, he said, they, the wicked, they're like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Augustine told a story about a beggar, and I'll elaborate on that. Here's what the wicked are like. It's like, it's like, A poor man, a beggar, going to sleep and dreaming about winning the lottery. And man, this is as vivid a dream as he's ever had. And in this dream, he won $750 million. And he bought the houses and the vacations and the cars and the toys. And he did everything he wanted to do. And he was living it up. And then, guess what happened? He woke up. And he was still a beggar. Asaph said, this is what the wicked are like. It's like they're living a dream. And right now they're in that dream and they're living it up and they're they're, they're having everything they want. They don't have any problems. They're going to wake up one day. That's what he said. He said, I understood their destiny. They might have it good in this life. They're not going to have it good in the next. They're going to be troubled in the next Those of us who are following after the Lord, we're going to have a good in the next life, although in this life may not be as good all the time. But this life is so short. We just got to keep going. Eternity is so long. And then verse 24, one more image, maybe one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel and the life we're called to live. He said, you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, this is my destiny, This is my destiny. Afterward, you will take me in the glory. I don't know about you. You know, today I'm going to do the service for Michelle's dad. And you can live a troubled life. And you can have pains and aches and problems in this life. But when you wake up on the other side, if you follow the Lord, if you've lived under his counsel, you go into glory. Isn't that the life we're trying to live? Just got to make it through another day. I don't know what 2021 will look like. I don't really care. I don't care who's president. In the big scheme of things, I might care on some levels. It doesn't matter to me who's in charge of the world or what virus is going on. In the great scheme of things, when I step back, 
Because I know the destiny of the righteous and the destiny of the wicked. And we can't trade it all one for the other. We, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. The destiny of the righteous comes through him. And I urge you today to consider that. Before you get so discouraged, you're ready to throw in the towel. Will you stand and pray with me? Lord, thank you for this message of Asaph. Thank you for the message of the gospel that tells us to keep going. It tells us not to give up. It tells us to persevere, not to throw in the towel. Because there was one who went that way for us. And he didn't stop. Not on the way of suffering. Not before in the garden. Not while he was hanging on the cross. He didn't give up. He went to his destiny in order to give us ours. And Lord, I thank you for his, his suffering. And even though we have what we believe is suffering today, it's only for a short while. We get to spend eternity with you, with our Savior in heaven in glory. Thank you for that, God. May we take another step. May we go another mile. May we live another day holding the banner of Jesus high. That's my prayer today in his name and by his glory and by his grace. Amen. I've got my mask in my pocket. If you need to come and talk to me about anything or you need prayer, just come as we sing.